There are many hard sayings in the Bible, and uh, a lot of them relate to how we should respond to suffering. We read from uh, Matthew chapter 5, and uh, Christ tells us to uh, blessed, he said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you. Do you feel that way? And persecute you and say falsely, falsely, all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then we go over to the end of chapter 5. And by the way, the mistake in terms of the chapter is mine, not our secretary. She was just taking my notes. As you see in my notes, I have chapter 6. It should be chapter 5. Love your neighbor. And uh, then we prove to be sons of God when we love those who do not love us, in fact, who hurt us. Hard sayings. We see uh, there are many in the Bible, but let me direct you to uh, a couple more. Romans chapter 5. And not only this, but we also exult or rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. Then in the book of James, the first chapter, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So what goes through your mind when you hear something like that? Are you saying, I don't know, can't be done? Rejoice in trials, bless our enemies, forgive those who cause us pain, just doesn't seem right, doesn't seem fair. Let's be careful here. This is not a man-made philosophy of living. It's something much more important and authoritative than that. It is the inspired word of God. To rejoice in tribulation is God's will for us. To accept suffering, whatever form it takes, is God's calling on our lives. God ordains our suffering for his good purposes, but he always gives us the grace to endure them. We're never on our own. God never sends any trial, whatever it is, and says, hope you do well, see you later. Our God is faithful, he will not abandon us. That development of a of the beauty of a Christ-like character is impossible without adversity in some way. We look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, and we recognize that uh, these, these, are, these are wonderful virtues that, uh, of course, remind us of, of the character of Jesus Christ. And when I read them, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I don't think any of us would say, I don't want to be that way. You know that as a Christian, that's the way God wants you to be. But here's the rub. They don't come neatly wrapped in a package. They don't come fully developed. God doesn't sort of put the whole deal at us and say, there you are. Now you're filled with love and filled with joy and filled with peace and patience. Most of them are learned in the crucible of suffering. If we are to have a 
Christ-like love, then we must be characterized by self-denial, by sacrifice. That includes a forgiving response to those who treat us unjustly. If we are to possess Christian joy, it's not just in times when everything is going our way, but in the midst of affliction. Yes, in the midst of tears. Victory over our natural tendency to despair and be resentful. And patience, you don't learn patience from a book, not even from the Bible. You learn about patience from the Bible, but you learn patience when you're sorely tried over an extended period of time. And contentment, rare in our materialistic culture. We learn contentment when we are satisfied with far less than maybe we would want. And when we live in the house we live in, drive the car we drive, of course, like me, you don't have accidents. I had one a week or so ago. Uh, We can't do everything we want to do. We can't have everything we want to have. But we're so content and we're so thankful. And, of course, that takes a lot of pressure off of life. God uses trial to develop the muscle system of our lives. In fact, adversity exposes the true state of our souls. It reveals who we are. It tells us how we need to grow and change. And so if I ask you, do you want to grow as a Christian, your response I know is, yes, I do. Then accept the process. And the process will involve suffering. Too often we focus on the difficulty, on the trial itself, rather than with the eye of faith, look beyond them to God and the good things he wants to do in us. Have you ever noticed that God does not ask you permission as to what trial he will give you? Uh, He does not send you a list of options and say, here are ten options about trials. You pick the one you'd like to have. He's the master teacher. He knows what is best for us. And God works in our lives through these trials. Sometimes we don't detect it. Uh, But Philippians chapter 1, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. That good work of salvation, which leads to sanctification. And adversity is part of the perfecting process, a necessary part, a very important part. Over in chapter 2 of Philippians chapter, uh, verse 13, God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, not for our ease, but for his good pleasure. Then we are told, do all things without grumbling and disputing, and thereby prove yourselves to be sons of God. Horatius Bonar, a 19th century Scottish pastor, said, God knows exactly what we need and how to supply it. His training is no random work. It is carried on with exquisite skill. What is our responsibility when trials come? We submit. 
not angrily, not reluctantly, but willingly and expectantly. And that demands implicit faith because we often don't see the purpose of the trial or the end of it. We bring the word of God to bear upon the situation. We ask the spirit of God to guide us into the principles and the promises of scripture that we need in our time of trial. Martin Luther said, were it not for tribulation, I should not understand the scriptures. Have you ever noticed that God's word is most precious when you're hurting? That your understanding of biblical truth, your experience of sustaining grace happens the most when you're hurting the most? We learn that we should profit from the adversity. Unless we are pruned, John 15, 2, the good fruit Jesus prunes that it might bring forth more fruit. You want to bring forth more fruit as a Christian? Jesus is going to prune you, and the cutting sometimes hurts. See, there's more selfishness in our hearts than we realize. And adversity will expose that so that by God's grace, by the Spirit and the Word, we can work on that. God's will for us is not a life of comfort. There's never been God's plan for his people. Up in heaven, we'll have an eternity of comfort and, and worship and praise and everything ideal, but not on earth. God's purpose for us is holiness. In Hebrews 12, the writer says, for they, human fathers, disciplined us for, our, for a short time as seems best to them. We, we try to get it right as fathers when it comes to the training, the discipline of our children, but sometimes we get it wrong. God never gets it wrong. But he disciplines us for our good that, he, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, Yet to those who have been trained by it, if you respond appropriately, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Jerry Bridges says, in making us holy, God goes deeper than just specific sins we may be conscious of. He wants to get at the root, of the co- at the root cause, the corruption of our sin nature manifested in the rebellion of our wills the perversity of our affections and the spiritual ignorance of our minds. God uses adversity to enlighten our minds about our needs as well as the teachings of Scripture. He uses adversity to rein in our affections that have been drawn out to unholy desires and to subdue our stubborn and rebellious wills. Well, what are some of the blessings of adversity? Adversity teaches us to depend upon God. We live in a world that worships self. We live in a culture of autonomy and of independence and of self-reliance. That's always been the default mode of sinful man. There was a poem written in 1875 by William Ernest Henley called Invictus which means unconquered. Listen to it. 
You know the last two lines. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of a shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul, the words of a fool. None of this is true. But that's man's self-reliance. Frank Sinatra sings years ago, I did it my way. Sinful man wants to run his own life, live by his own rules, call the shots. And if we're not really, really careful as Christians, that same mentality creeps in to us. We want things to turn out the way we want them to turn out. And we push and shove and manipulate to make things happen. Bad decision. And God in love brings adversity into our lives to help us see our desperate need of him. 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. If you think the Apostle Paul was always on top of the world, he wasn't. He was just like you and I. Listen, burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves. So the weight and the burden, and with the Apostle Paul, the sentence of death was very real. Day after day, he had people that wanted him dead. But he needed to learn from all of this that he should not trust in himself. Trials and afflictions are designed by God to bring us to the end of our own resources, our own self-confidence, and to place us in a position whereby we are more than willing to call upon the grace of God, as the Apostle Paul does in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. You know, after he had prayed and prayed and prayed, for the removal of the thorn of the flesh, and God declined, and God said, no, I'm not going to take it away. You will live until your dying day with that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. And Paul did not say, okay, God, if that's the way you're going to be, forget it. No, he said, I'm well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Because life wasn't for his sake. It was for the name of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus says to us, apart from me, you can do nothing. We do nothing that pleases God apart from our union with Christ and our dependence upon the grace of God. And so God may frustrate our plans. He may scuttle our efforts towards some goal and make it impossible for us to fulfill our dreams. We are going in a direction, we have an agenda, and God says, no, this is not going to happen. And he has something better for us. 
Adversity teaches us to persevere. Again, going back to the book of Hebrews, written to people going through hard times. A fine chapter 10 of Hebrews has some hard sayings. So, verse 32. We, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. After becoming a Christian, life got tough. Partly by being made a public spectacle, they were mocked, through reproaches and tribulations, partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated, they identified with the sufferers. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Wow. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. If our earthly possessions are our heaven, we will be incensed if they're taken from us. But these people were not incensed. They accepted joyfully the seizure of their property because they knew that something better was in the future. They persevered. Perseverance is the quality of character that enables one to pursue a godly course in spite of obstacles and difficulties. It is our commitment to do the will of God no matter what. And how do you develop perseverance? Tribulation brings about perseverance. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You want endurance? I want endurance. I want to know how to persevere. Then I must be tested. That's God's methodology. That's the way he does it. Adversity prepares us for greater service. Authentic ministry is all about forgetting about ourselves and our needs and our priorities and placing the glory of God and the needs of other people before their own plans in life. Ministry is grounded in the pattern set by Jesus Christ. Our default mode as Christians is often, I want the world to please me. I want my partner, my marriage partner to please me. I want the church to satisfy me. I want other people to be concerned about my needs. Submission to Christ will change that default mode to one that forgets about self and seeks to serve others for the glory of God. God could have brought Joseph directly to Pharaoh's palace without taking him through prison. But he didn't. Jerry Bridges says, to the extent we are able to lay hold of the great truths of sovereignty, wisdom, and love of God and find comfort and encouragement from them in our adversities, we will be able to minister to others in times of distress. The most effective people when it comes to ministry are those who have been hurt the most in life. Adversity draws us together with other believers because none of us goes through life without suffering. None of us. 
Adversity is no respecter of persons. The rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, the powerful, the weak, all classes, all groups, all races. But there is a special fellowship among believers who endure affliction together. Now let's be careful here because we are to share our joys and sorrows, absolutely. But I don't think it helps very much if we just get together to whine about life, to complain about situations. Not that we shouldn't share some of these things with one another, but the purpose of our sharing is not to have people feel sorry for us, but to encourage us in the Lord. The Bible says that those who have been comforted by God are able to comfort other people. So in your adversity, receive the comfort of God. And then you become a servant to other people, ministering comfort to them. Adversity deepens our relationship with God. And this is, to me, one of the most profitable benefits of a suffering. We bow to God's sovereignty. We trust in his wisdom. We draw from his strength. We experience the consolations of his love. We cry out to God as the psalmist did so often, Lord, I'm in despair. Help me. See my knee. We cry out to God, and in those same psalms, he trusts in the Lord. And I hope that that is what we do. When trials come, we pray and pray and pray and ask for the grace of God. Sometimes troubles seem senseless and irrational to us. But that's never the case when God is brought into the picture. Adversity encourages thanksgiving. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. Here's what Jerry Bridges said. God does not ask us to rejoice because we have lost our job, or a loved one has been stricken with cancer, or a child is born with an incurable birth defect. Uh, defect. But he does tell us to rejoice because we believe he's in control of those circumstances and is at work through them to our ultimate good. And may I say that we are not exempt from giving thanks when life is hard. It's important that through our hurts and pain and our tears, we still give thanks to God. Thanksgiving is an admission of dependence. Adversity prompts worship. How did Job react when person after person came to him with not just bad news, but horrific news? His servants were being killed. His animals were being slain. The great wind comes, knocks down the house where all his children are, and they all die. Ten are dead. By the way, God sent the wind. And Joseph arose, uh, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell on the ground and he, what? What's the next word? Worshipped. He worshipped. Naked I came from my mother's womb, 
Naked I shall return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin or blame God. Wow. And sometimes you and I have one little teeny incidency thing go wrong in life and we blame God. Worship involves a two-directional view. We look up to God, to his majesty, his power, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, and we look at ourselves and recognize our dependence upon God and our sinfulness. God's sovereignty includes his right to do as he pleases. And as he pleases is always right. He has freely chosen to redeem us, and now he has the right to choose how to reform us. And again, I quote Bridges, Worship from the heart in times of adversity implies an attitude of a humble acceptance on our part of God's right to do as he pleases in our lives. It is a frank acknowledgement that whatever we have at any given moment, health, position, wealth, or anything else we may cherish is a gift from God's sovereign grace and may be taken away at his pleasure. Adversity develops humility and forgiveness. 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We are to cast our cares upon him. And that, that word has the, has the connotation of a deliberate act of surrender. It's not passive, it is active. It also means that we do not hold on to our anxieties and cherish them. We release them to God. Humility should be a response to adversity and the fruit of it. Why do we need to be humble? Obvious reason, because in various areas we're all proud. Why was Paul given a thorn in the flesh? He tells us, to keep me humble. He'd just been exalted to paradise. He'd seen things that could not be uttered. Wow. And to keep me humble, he is given a thorn in the flesh. So whenever God blesses us, the writer says, in any way that might engender pride, he will, along with blessing, give us a thorn in the flesh to oppose and undermine the, that pride. We will be made weak in some way through one or more adversities in order that we might recognize that our strength is in him, not in ourselves. So when we are suffering in some way in life, Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to examine your heart because there might be an element of pride that we are unaware of and God wants us to make aware of it and so he gives us the trial. Now adversity often comes through the actions of other people and that's why we need a forgiving heart. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 that we are to forgive others just as God in Christ has forgiven us. We need to choose to trust God in adversity 
Psalm 56, 3 and 4, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. Psalm 42, 11, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So, be willing to believe. Be willing to believe. And that the matter of faith is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We are responsible to obey God, but the strength to obey comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. And be convinced that God is trustworthy. And that's where your knowledge of Scripture will be very helpful to you. There was a time later on in the book of Job where Job says, Lord, I'm looking all over the place and I can't find you. Now, he's received plenty of advice from his friends who should have desisted, but they didn't. They thought they were helpful, but they weren't. So in Job 23, verse 8, Behold, I go forward, he is not there, backward, and I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right, I cannot see him. So Job was saying, here I am, confused and perplexed, and I can't find you, God. That's not too important. Why? Because the next verse, he knows the way I take. I might have the feeling that I cannot find God, but he has no trouble finding me. He knows the way I take. And Job says, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The ultimate goal of adversity is the glory of God. The ultimate goal of life, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, there is benefit to us if we respond in faith, but the greater purpose of suffering is the glory of God. Alexander Carson, nothing can be more consoling than the, than the conviction that the Lord who made the world governs the world, that every event, great and small, prosperous and adverse, is under the absolute disposal of him who does all things well and who regulates all things for the good of his people. That's why I've called this series Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. Your suffering is not a mistake. It's not an accident. There, there is a purpose in it, and it comes from God. I know that all of us here have troubles. You have stress. You have burdens. Some of us have had sorrow and grief in recent days. And if you are going through a time in life when everything is going just right, it ain't going to last. <laughs> I've got news for you. Adversity, suffering, trials will surely come. The question is not, will I face affliction? The question is, how will you face affliction? And if you decide by God's grace to walk close to the Lord every day, to be in his word on a consistent basis, implant it in your thinking, apply it to your life, 
If you are a person of prayer, bringing everything before the Lord, then when adversity comes, as it will, you will respond appropriately. You will respond in a way that honors the Lord. Are you growing through adversity? Are you allowing the trials of your life, and they differ for all of us, to humble you and draw you closer to God? Are you letting God reveal things about your thinking that is not consistent with his will? Are you learning about yourself and about the need for change in certain areas? See, God loves us too much not to send adversity. And because he loves us, he will discipline us. But it's for our good. It's so that we might pursue holiness. This message is for me as well as for you. Let's accept from God's gracious, loving hands the heartaches, the trials, the adversities of life and grow to be more like Jesus. Let us pray. Father, help us. This is tough stuff. And I'm not minimizing any trial anybody is having here. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying there is no grief, no confusion, no sorrow, because there is. I'm not saying saying there's no pain, no confusion, because there is. I'm just saying, God, that you know what you're doing. And help us to trust you enough to be confident that you are working all things out for your good pleasure and for your glory and for our good. Lord, may we grow through adversity. In Jesus' name, amen.